Welcome back, Brown Girls. Ashanti here, the founder of the Brown Girls Guide to Politics, and this is the first episode featuring the 2020 Democratic presidential candidates. Today, we'll hear from Senator Cory Booker of New Jersey. Like many of you, I got to know Senator Booker during his time as mayor of Newark, New Jersey. Through his social media accounts, we got to see up close his investment in the city from education to gun violence prevention and even being available as mayor to shovel a little snow. As a senator, he has continued to advocate for issues that are important to women and people of color, which have been central to his presidential campaign. Senator Booker took the time to chat with us after ending a busy day on the campaign trail. I hope you enjoy. All right, let's get into it. So we've been following your race. You're running a wonderful race. And you talk a lot about, I'm running because. But one of the questions we got from our listeners is, they actually would like to know, where were you when you decided, okay, I'm actually going to do this. I'm going to run for president. Wow. I don't know. (laughs) It it was kind of a slow-growing conclusion I do remember when I started getting to the point where my pros and cons, when I looked at the cons, not reasons not to run, they all fear-based reasons as opposed to the pro side, which were all faith-based reasons. You know, I was taught from the time I was a a kid is, you know, walk by faith, you know, don't let your fears dim your light or, or undermine your, your calling. So I, you know, I finally decided to jump out there and, you know, I'm at, I'm sort of, you know, in middle age, as they say, and I do know, looking back at my life, the times I've grown the best, uh, made contributions that I'm most proud of. And even when I didn't came up short, the con- times I, I learned the most lessons were always when I, when I leapt with faith and, and instead of held back with fear. That is so powerful, especially that part about Fear leads us into our next question. You're a strong proponent of women's civic and political engagement. And a lot of women talk about fear as well and being scared to put themselves out there, be it running for office or what does it look like for me to take a job on a campaign? And Glamour Magazine just wrote a story about some of the fabulous women behind your campaign. And it talked a lot about your paid family leave policy So many women of color in particular work in jobs at all levels, and they don't offer this type of leave. So when you're president, how do you plan to model what you've done on your campaign in your administration? Well, as a child, I remember this moment. It was a high drama moment on my part (laughs) where I was I had the chicken pox and it was seventh grade. And I was like feeling like I had hundreds of needles all over my body lying in an oatmeal bath. My mom was getting ready to leave on a business trip. And I said, with a lot of melodrama, I looked at my mom as she was getting ready to leave. And I said to her, mom, if you leave me, I'll die. (laughs) And my mother stared at me for a long moment. And I knew that she saw through all the melodrama. But you know what she did? She put down her briefcase went to the phone, made a long phone call, came back, changed into her sweatpants and stayed with her son. And I know as I got older, I began to realize that that's the choice every mom would make, you know, to be there for their child. And yet my mom had a job that had the kind of uh, leave policy where she could do things like that. But, but I know this as a guy living in Newark and seeing these incredible 
women, we're a majority city of color, so majority black and brown women who work in jobs. Like a friend of mine, Natasha, who worked at an IHOP, whose son was in a life or death situation. The IHOP happens to be across the street from the hospital, and her son was in for an asthma attack. And and black children will die at 10 times the rate of white children of uh, of asthma complications. And she had to make this awful decision, whether she stayed at work to collect the paycheck she needed, or did she leave that paycheck uh, and lose that resources that she needed for her kids in order to be in the hospital emergency room for their for her child. And And this is absolutely outrageous that every day millions of Americans are making this decision because we are one of the few nations that, that in the industrial world that doesn't have paid family leave. I mean, Afghanistan and the Congo have paid family leave. So yeah, my campaign is going to represent the change I want to see in this nation. But if I'm president of the United States, uh, I know that this is an issue that's not a partisan issue. It's an issue that overwhelmingly Americans agree with. And we are going to institute a paid family leave policy that is almost just like sort of like the unemployment insurance policy where 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 the the employer and the employee make very very small contributions into an account to make sure that we can be a nation where no woman has to ever be or no person has to ever be in that situation because obviously men should have that option as well. That is so great and I want to talk a little bit more because you mentioned the young kid who has asthma and in communities of color, we're actually starting to see more young kids with asthma. We know what's happening in Flint with the water and kids actually having developmental issues because of the lead. What are some of the ways that you would actually look at how these environmental factors, including climate change, are impacting communities of color? Well, climate change for vulnerable communities isn't a tomorrow thing. It is a right now crisis. And, you know, I, I, again, so much of my policies have come from leading in a urban area. And I know that as warming happens, my asthma rates, you know, most cities are heat islands. In fact, the asthma rates go up. And so this is a now issue for me. There's an urgency. I, I got around to being an environmental activist because of the urgent realities now. And environmental injustice and environmental racism in this country are real. And that's why I led the formation in the Senate of the Environmental Caucus. That's why I led uh, the comprehensive environmental justice bill and helped write it in the United States Senate. Because these, to me, are life or death issues. And people think that, like, Flint, Michigan is some kind of anomaly. We have 3,000 communities across this country where children have more than twice the blood lead levels of Flint, Michigan. We have communities where parents can't trust the water coming out of their sink. They live near Superfund sites, which are toxic. We know their air and the soil. There are communities where they tell you not to eat the fruit from the trees or plants that grow from the ground. Uh, you see cancer clusters, literally from Louisiana, where there's an area called Cancer Alley uh, along the Mississippi between Baton Rouge and, and New Orleans. We see places in Alabama I visited, like Uniontown, uh, which have toxic dumps that were moved from uh, more wealthy communities into low-income African-American communities. We have industrial animal agriculture in places like Duplin County that are poisoning streams, uh, uh, rivers, groundwater 
and lowering the, the resale ability for people who live in, in communities surrounding these massive concentrated animal feeding corporate operations. I, I can go through the places around this nation where you see overtly the outrageous uh, environmental injustices, not to mention in my own home city, like so many cities where you still have these lead service lines that are in the ground that we need to be as a, as a nation saying it's unacceptable and getting these out. So I, I am one of the few candidates running for president that has, as a part of their climate change plan, a major part that's all about environmental injustice and the need for us to create a multi-billion dollar fund to begin to address everything from ab- abandoned uh, mines uh, to Superfund sites uh, to clean water projects. It just has to be done because the costs of inaction – are attacks on the most valuable natural resource we have in this country, which is the genius of our children. It's costing us so much more as a society, costing us so much more to our economy to not address these environmental injustices um, than, as opposed to just fixing them and addressing them. We know that you are such a fighter when it comes to fighting injustice. And this definitely comes out, too, when you talk about criminal justice reform, which is a signature issue for you. And it's been discussed a lot on the campaign trail and during the debates, but there still hasn't been enough conversation about the increase in the number of black and brown girls who are entering the criminal justice system, especially as a part of the school to prison pipeline. So would definitely love to hear your thoughts about that and some of your ideas to address it. Well, let me just first just admit my boneheadedness. Um, I was a champion on this issue before I got to the Senate. But it wasn't until I got to the Senate that women, formerly incarcerated women, started to really challenge me. Like, you're, yeah, you're the preeminent spokesperson in the Senate on these issues, but you don't talk about the particular factors that are affecting women who are incarcerated. Nor was I even aware of the dramatic reality that one out of every three incarcerated women on the planet Earth are in the United States of America, and it's our fastest growing uh, population of prisoners. And, and so things are getting worse for women. And, and women are overwhelmingly nonviolent offenders. But what's stunning about it, people talk about the school-to-prison pipeline. There is a sexual assault-to-prison pipeline. Eighty-six percent of the women we incarcerate are survivors of sexual assault and sexual trauma. And, and we do not have systems that are in any way about treating women with trauma-informed care. But many times do things in prisons and jails that aggravate those assaults, you know, uh, compounding a lot of the harm. We still do things in this country from shackling uh, pregnant women when they're giving birth, uh, putting pregnant women in solitary confinement, uh, to even just issues of menstrual equity where women, you know, I've sat with incarcerated women who just tell me stories about not being able to afford tampons because they're not being provided. Quality tampons aren't being provided and they have to make their own. This is shameful treatment that is, to me, even, even tantamount to human rights violations. As opposed to doing things to empower uh, uh, women, we do things to – like our criminal justice system does. It grounds in the most vulnerable people. And so I wrote a comprehensive bill called the Dignity Act for Women years ago. Pieces of it I was able to get included in the the larger bill that got passed. But I'm proud that our Dignity Act for Women has been picked up by numerous states now who have introduced it uh, in in full uh, or in virtually in full – um, to start to address these issues and that I'm going to continue to be one of these people that goes around letting people know because uh, I don't – I, I, for me, it was an awareness problem. It took me 
uh, uh, years before I began to just recognize, I, and I'm embarrassed to tell you, and I, I, and I throw myself out there as an example, we, we talk about this in such a gendered way. I, I had visited prisons since I was in law school, and it wasn't until I was a senator that I visited uh, women uh, who are incarcerated, I had only visited, visited male facilities. And so we have got to, got to as a country, wake up to the fact that we are the worst uh, industrial nation on the planet uh, for what we do to vulnerable women within the criminal justice system. And if I have my way, I'm going to put an end to this, this element of the mass incarceration problem. And thank you so much for that, Senator. And I know for anyone who's definitely followed all the things that you've done in the Senate, you have been such a champion of women. I remember during the Kavanaugh hearing, just so many women appreciating the way that you handled the questioning, the way that you fought to get the answers. So I just want to say thank you for that and move on to our next question, which is, if you are elected president, what top three issues would you immediately address that you think would have a positive impact on women of color? Well, number one is I'm going to elevate in the White House and White House Office of Reproductive Freedom and to deal with the issues uh, not only of protecting a woman's right uh, uh, to control her body, which is disproportionately affects these bills in Alabama and uh, Texas and Missouri are, are disproportionately impacting low-income women and as a result, proportionately affecting uh, African-American and women of color. But the, that office is going to look at everything, uh, um, access to contraceptive care, to maternal mortality issues. Uh, and we know that maternal mortality is is something that we lead the planet on. And for black women, it's about four times the rate it is of white women. So that's number one uh, is something that I'm going to do. Uh, and I know it will have an impact. Criminal justice, which we've already covered off on, I'm going to be moving to uh, give pathways to clemency for 17,000 people we've identified that are wrongfully incarcerated. Uh, which include a significant number of women for things like uh, 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 marijuana convictions or the crack cocaine, powder cocaine disparity that's still affecting uh, as well. I want to flip to just opportunity side. The fastest growing group entrepreneurs in this country are black and brown women, extraordinarily so. But of all the, let's use VC dollars, for example, um, African-American and, and Latino women, uh, black and brown women make up a very small percentage, a little over 1% of all the VC dollars are going to uh, entrepreneurs uh, who, are, who are women. And so this is something that has to be addressed. And my campaign has already put out a platform about access to capital, business incubators, business accelerators, because we as a country have a problem with a declining levels of new business starts, new, new business startups are going down. And here we have this incredible entrepreneurial group within our country who's showing the proclivity but not getting the kind of capital nor support. So those are just three areas, but we've covered off on some other big ones from affordable childcare, universal preschool, paid family leave. Uh, there's a lot of other things uh, to me that are critical. And then the last one I'm going to say, I'm taking more than three, obviously, but the problem with housing, it's a big issue for uh, women, especially uh, single mothers. And my rental tax credit, which says that women or people that are paying more than a third of their income uh, in rent should, should just like you get a mortgage interest reduction, we would have a refundable renter's tax credit between a third of your income and the median area uh, income, which would median area rent, which would actually cut poverty by 10 million in this country, as well as uh, elevate uh, the salaries 
of, of many millions of folks who right now are caught in housing crunches and disproportionately that impacts single, single mothers. Oh, I know that right there would help out so many women and lots of amazing, great points. And we do like to end our podcast on a positive note. So I'm going to ask you, what advice do you have for our listeners, both the women and the men, because we do have lots of men who are fans of the podcast that want to get politically and civically engaged? You've been a mayor, you're a sitting senator, you're running for president. What advice do you have for them to get involved? Well, I want to just say two, one self-serving and one uh, what I know will make our country better. So the one I know this just in general that's going to make our country better is, is jump in, get involved, get engaged. When I got to the United States Senate, for example, it was one of the least diverse places I have ever seen in my life. And I just remember going to Chuck Schumer with Brian Schatz and, and asking him to force Democratic senators to reveal their diversity statistics, like how many people of color, how many women do they have on staffs and in positions of power. And it really led to a lot more uh, opportunity and a lot more hiring in those areas. But we just need folks to get involved, whether it's in a congressional office or as a local uh, school board member. I just really want to encourage people to get out there and run, to get out there involved, get involved and get out there and get engaged. I can tell you factually uh, my office has been transformed uh, uh, by the contributions of women in positions of authority, positions of power on my campaign and, and what have you. And I know we need to get more uh, more women who are willing to to take that leap of faith and, and put themselves out there to be elected officials or to serve in significant roles. And then the last thing is self-serving is forgive me for doing this in the middle of a presidential campaign. But if this presidential campaign you believe is the most important of your lifetime, then act like it. And if you have a candidate you want to, that you believe in, even if you're not 100%, that's the one you want, but support them. And I hope people or your listeners at a time that we really, uh, in the November is a big crunch for us because we're hiring up in our, our early primary states. I'm hoping folks who listen to you might consider going to CoreyBooker.com and supporting us. Such great advice. Thank you so much, Senator. I'm just in awe listening to all the amazing things that you talked about. Really appreciate you taking the time to spend some time with our listeners. I, I am so grateful for you, for your voice, and more importantly, how you use your voice uh, to empower others to use theirs. So thank you. Oh, thank you, Senator. And we'll let you get back to the campaign trail. All right. You take care now. To learn more about Senator Booker and his policies, visit his campaign website, CoreyBooker.com. Stay up to date with us in between episodes on the BGG website, www.thebgguide.com, and on our social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, at The BG Guide. The Brown Girls Guide to Politics podcast is produced by Wonder Media Network. You can find them on Instagram at WMN.media and on Twitter at WMN Media. Until next time, Brown Girls. Blackness isn't just about race. I'm Deneen Milner, and I'm a New York Times bestselling author. On my podcast, Speakeasy with Deneen, I dive into the beauty and humanity of Blackness with people like writer Tayari Jones, journalist Demetria Lucas, and rapper Killer Mike. Listen to Speakeasy with Deneen from Georgia Public Broadcasting. Subscribe for free at gpb.org slash podcasts or on your favorite podcast app.